0: There's a 137-mile-long river in south-central Louisiana. It's called the Chafalaya River. It's a distributary of the Mississippi River, and it's a river that to south-central Louisiana brings a significant amount of income because of its commercial, industrial opportunities. But it's a river that owes all of its strength all of it to the Mississippi because it's a distributary, meaning it doesn't have its own uh, water source. It receives water from the Mississippi, which means when the Mississippi is high, the Atchafalaya is high. When the Mississippi is low, the Atchafalaya is low. It's It's a picture of the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ, if it accomplishes anything of value, can only attribute any of that accomplishment to its direct source, which is Jesus Christ. When the church loses connection with Christ, it begins to shrink, it begins to fracture. We're in this Acts chapter 6 passage about the early church. And what we see here is two things are happening in the early church. Number one, it's growing rapidly. And number two, it has a problem. It's growing rapidly, it has a problem. And as Luke describes the problem and the solution, you'll notice in this passage, he makes no mention of the apostles praying about the decision. There's no explicit mention of Christ in the passage. But we can be confident that the decision that the apostles and the community made came directly from Christ and his leadership of them. And that's because this was the type of problem that if they would have been operating in their own strength and wisdom apart from Christ as their source of wisdom, it would have absolutely divided this church and caused it to start fracturing and shrinking. What we see here, because they came out of this, verse seven says, even growing more rapidly, priests coming to the faith, they came out of this problem unified, we can be confident that Christ is growing this imperfect church. And he's growing the imperfect church today through servants who are submitted to him. The question becomes, through what kind of servants does Christ grow his imperfect church? First, he grows his imperfect church through impartial servants. Up until now, this early church is almost idealized. It's it's this amazing, growing, hyper-growing, perfect church if we could only be like the early church. Then you get to Acts 6, and it bursts the bubble pretty quickly. Okay, they've got problems, just like every church has problems. You say, what was the problem? Verse 1, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, it's a growing church, a complaint by the Hellenists, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The problem is that the Hellenist widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And you say, why? Well, at this point, the church is made up of two groups of people, the Hellenists and the Hebrews. The Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews who primarily attended worship in Greek-speaking synagogues. The Hebrews were Hebrew-speaking Jews who primarily attended worship in Hebrew-speaking synagogues. And what we learn is that there were, at the time, there were minor social and cultural differences between these groups. In the Jewish world at the time, there was some degree of tension. And a lot of that got mitigated probably when when they came to Christ and joined the Christian community. Might still have been some of that. But what we see happening here is what I think, and I think what the text would reveal, is that this is not intentional favoritism or this isn't explicit bias on the Hellenists being overlooked. What's happening here, just at a practical level, is you have all the apostles, 12 of them at this point, 12 apostles who are Hebrew-speaking, primarily apostles, who probably were primarily attending the Hebrew-speaking synagogues, or that was kind of their home. And so the Hebrew widows, who were there, therefore mostly connected to the Hebrew-speaking apostles, were getting readily food distributed to them. The Hellenist widows were disconnected from that Hebrew leadership. And so they were getting overlooked. They weren't getting the food distributed to them as rapidly or even getting it distributed to them. The reason why I don't believe this was explicit bias or intentional favoritism is how the apostles responded to the complaint when it came to them. They didn't get defensive. They didn't ignore the complainers and throw them out. Right? The church didn't split, didn't become this, this big thing. They listened to the problem that was brought to them. Same reality exists in the church today. A research study that was explained and summarized in the Wall Street Journal said this. According to the study, the further... From native sounding an accent is, the harder we have to work and the less trustworthy we perceive the information to be. What they're saying, the bias is not based on character, it's just based on people speaking differently. What was interesting in this study, the researchers drew the conclusion that it wasn't, wasn't racism at heart. What it was is, it was just people that were, their brains preferring the least path of resistance That's a a nice way to say that despite our best intentions, we all have pockets of prejudice and bias, even if it's implicit and not explicit or intentional. We all have those pockets. In biblical terms, it means this, that we show favoritism naturally to people who most resemble us. That that's the, the, the natural tendency of the human heart is to show favoritism to people that most Resemble us, because in our fallen, sin- sinful nature, we favor those who can give us what we want. Which maybe it's a status, it maybe it's approval, maybe it's an emotional feel good, or maybe it's just path of least resistance. We're going to favor people that are least difficult and let us get where we want to get as fast as we can. So this was going on in the early church. This is this is why clicks formed so easily in churches, in schools, in social groups, is because of this natural, implicit bias that we have that sometimes we're not even aware of. And I believe that's what was happening here in the early church. And so when this problem was brought to the apostles, they didn't get defensive, they didn't complain about the complainers, they didn't throw them out, they didn't ignore them, the church didn't split instead They say in verse three, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Now here's what's amazing. Look at who the church community picks out to bring to the apostles in verse five. They chose Stephen, man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. These are all Greek names, which means these were all Greek-speaking leaders who were in the, the Hellenist group within the church. You say, why is that so amazing? Because what the apostles did what the church community did in putting it before the apostles and what the apostles affirmed was absolutely countercultural in the ancient world. One commentator says it this way. Those with political power generally repressed complaining minorities. Here, the apostles hand the whole system over to the offended minority. Now, why should we be amazed? Or who should we be amazed at here? You could read this and go, wow. Look at this church community and look at these apostles, how amazing they are to make such a wise decision. Or you can be amazed at the work Christ does through people who are submitted to him. Because that's what's happening here. Apart from Christ, The church community, the apostles get defensive. They ignore the complainers. They explain it away. The church begins to split, shrink. That all happens apart from Christ. The humility and the trust that you see here in this church can only be born out of connection to Jesus Christ and what Christ was doing through them. Apart from Christ, you have no choice but to respond to your partiality and your bias but with defensiveness and pride. Christ Church East and every church in the world has partiality and bias. And that's because there's only one person who is perfectly impartial, and that's Jesus Christ. Christ. He's the only person that's perfectly impartial. Apart from him, we are left to our natural biases and our natural, natural favoritism, which means that only through a dynamic relationship with Christ, only in relationship to Christ do you have the ability to turn away from your partiality and turn towards impartiality. Christ grows his imperfect church through servants who through faith in him humbly acknowledge their sin of favoritism partiality and open their arms to people that don't resemble them? What kind of partiality or favoritism do you need to acknowledge and repent of? What kind of partiality and favoritism do you see that needs to be confronted? Or acknowledged in the community. It's gonna be there. Christ grows his imperfect church right, through servants who are constantly repenting of partiality and turning in Christ to impartiality. Second, Christ grows his imperfect church through holistic servants. Holistic servants. Notice what the complaint was about in this early church. It was about the food not getting distributed to the widows as it should. Notice how the apostles did not respond. They didn't say, well, that's not the church's problem. We're just gonna teach the word of God. We're not gonna get in that kind of business. No, they didn't respond that way, right? They responded in verse two. And the 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Verse three, pick seven men of good repute whom we will appoint to this duty. Verse four, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The word of God, which appears several times in this passage, that phrase, the word of God is a person. John chapter one makes that clear, that Jesus Christ is the word. The word of Christ, or the good news of Jesus Christ, is expressed in two ways. It's expressed through word, what you say, and it's expressed through deed, what you do. So verse two, we see that they were gonna serve tables. That word serve, it means that's where we get the word deacon from. They were serving tables. That is the good news of Jesus Christ being expressed through deed, through an act of mercy. And then in verse four, you see the phrase ministry of the word. That word ministry is the same root word as serve in verse two. So you've got service of the good news of Jesus through deed, and you've got service through the word, both. Are important. The gospel serves the world through word, what you say, indeed what you do. And this was nothing new, this was nothing new to God's people. Because in the Old Testament, one of the responsibilities that was laid on God's people was to care for the widows and the orphans. And which this happened often when they, neglect, when they neglected that responsibility to care for the widows and the orphans the minor prophets, and we can read of it, would chastise them for it and remind them of what they had been called to to care for widows and orphans. And then Jesus Christ, the great prophet, picks up the same neglect in his people and addresses them for it. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 to 40, Jesus says, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom, prepare for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And and when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The good news of Jesus Christ is expressed through word, and it's expressed through deed, and yet, over the centuries, there is this constant pressure to pull them apart and to make it either or. Let me give you a couple examples. Going back to the very early centuries, there was a philosophy that was beginning to gain traction in the culture. It was called Gnosticism. Basically, it said this, spiritual is good, material is bad. Your body, this world, is sinful, it's evil, But the the spiritual, the soul is good. So the goal is to get the soul rescued out of this evil body, this evil world. And when that line of thinking gets incorporated into Christianity, it looks something like this. Who cares about temporal suffering? Who cares about bodies, this world? It's all evil. We're going to care about the spiritual. We're going to care about people getting rescued from eternal suffering. And that's it. Just the word of God and getting people saved problem is that God loves bodies. God loves bodies. He made them, and he loves them so much that he actually put one on in Jesus Christ, and today, 2,000 years later, and for eternity, Jesus will always have a physical body. That's how much God loves bodies, which means that he is redeeming all of creation. He's redeeming people, bodies, right? Right? It's not not pulling word and deed apart. Another way this has happened, 1920s, the church divided and split over the authority of the Bible. And you had two groups. You had one church, one group of churches that said, we are going to stick to God's word. We believe every bit of it. And that means we believe that man is sinful, needs a savior, and Jesus is the only way to salvation. The other group of churches said, we're not, we don't believe the supernatural parts of the Bible, including the resurrection. But we do believe the parts of the Bible that say, take care of the least of these. Take care of the widows and orphans. So we're gonna focus on that. And so what you had is this split where some churches said, we're gonna help people. We're gonna help people by giving them the word. And other churches have said, we're gonna help people by giving them deeds and acts of mercy and those were never meant to be split. Christ's church is to hold word and deed, what you say and what you do, together. Word and deed are to never be separated. They're inseparable in Christ, inseparable. As servants of Jesus, you are his hands, his feet, and his mouthpiece. How have you separated these? Consciously or unconsciously? How have you separated word and deed? How have you become all word and no deed? Or how have you become all deed and no word? They are meant to be together. Through what kind of servants does Christ grow his imperfect church? Through impartial servants? through holistic servants of word and deed, and then finally, through communal servants. The apostles needed help, that's clear. They couldn't lead and serve this church all by themselves. They either had to give up preaching the word to serve the food to the widows, or they had to give up giving food to widows and preaching the word. They didn't have the capacity to do both. They saw the importance of both. And so verse three, they said to the congregation, this is important, to the church community, they said, you propose seven men who can take up this task. And notice the qualifications, good repute, full of spirit, full of wisdom. These are character qualifications. It's not competence qualifications. They didn't say, hey, go find someone who's run a food distribution system and bring them back here. So no, we want, this is character qualifications, and when you look at the rest of the New Testament, elder, deacon qualifications, they are primarily character qualifications. So the congregation brings these men before the apostles. Verse six, what do they do? These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Important to see what happened here. The church community proposed the candidates. Then the apostles affirmed them and ordained them by laying hands on them, which the laying on of hands was a conferring of authority. It was a giving of authority. It's the reason why we at Christ Church East, when we bring on new elders and deacons, the first step in the process is to you, the congregation, to nominate candidates. That's simply asking you to look at the congregation and say, who are men that would fit this office? And then you nominate, you propose them to the elders and then the elders train them, examine them and then ordain them and lay hands on them. It's the same process that happens today. In his kindness, this is so kind of Jesus to provide his church with leadership that expresses the good news of Jesus through word, and through deed, the elders of a church, which the apostles, the 12 apostles, were the elders of the first church, focused on expressing the good news of the gospel through word, through the word. It's talked here of prayer and the ministry of the word. The deacons expressed the good news of Jesus Christ through deed, right here, through serving tables, through acts of mercy, giving food to the widows and to the poor and others who need it. What a gracious provision from Christ because his church is to be word and deed. And so he provides leadership to do both. That's how committed he is to it. Christ grows his imperfect church through communal servants, not lone ranger servants. Now, let me explain what that means. This communal servants has two parts to it. First, it means this. It means servants who know they don't have all the gifts and need the gifts of others. And this applies both to a leadership level and to a congregational level. In our fallen sinful nature, we want to believe we have all the gifts. And then if the world could figure that out, it'd be a better place. The world could just figure out that, that I have all the gifts. I don't need help. The world would be a better place. And now that, that's an absolute disaster because it sets someone up to be the Savior, to be the Messiah. There's only one who has all the gifts. I said there's one who is perfectly impartial it's Jesus Christ. There's also one who has all the gifts, and it's Jesus Christ. It's Christ. He's the only one that has all the gifts. When we set ourselves up to be the savior, we put ourselves in a place we're not designed to be. And honestly, we think we're good at something we're not. The church has a variety of gifts. I can tell you that the elders at Christ Church East and the deacons at Christ Church East, we are very different when it comes to giftedness, okay? We are very different and that's a good thing. If the church, both at leadership and congregational level, Didn't have a variety of gifts, it would would shrink and shrink and just fall apart. I mean, can you imagine? Just think about this. If everyone in the church had the gift of teaching and no one had the gift of mercy, I mean, just think about what kind of church that would be. Be a church with great doctrine and no care, be a church with brains on a stick running around. Church needs variety. And I'm saying that as a person that teaches every week. We have variety of gifts in our officers and in the congregation, and that's beautiful. That's what makes the church, or that's how Christ grows his imperfect church. So not everyone has the gifts. Only Jesus has all the gifts. But second, this communal servant's means that it's servants, and I say this not at the leadership level, but congregational-wide, servants that understand that they are engaged in the work of ministry. You can, you can read this description of the early church in Acts 6, and you can think, well, 12 apostles couldn't get it done It was getting beyond their capacity, so they brought on seven deacons, and now there's 19 total, and now they're good, right? Now 19 can do the work of ministry. Understand where the church is at at this point. In Acts chapter one, it was 120 people. In Acts chapter two, it was 3,000 people. In Acts chapter four, we learned there were 5,000 men, which when you add women and children, this church is north of 10,000 at this point. There is no way that these seven new deacons that were brought on board were distributing all the food to every widow that needed food and every Hellenist widow that needed food. No, we can very safely assume that they were leading and mobilizing an entire congregation, an entire church community, right, to bring food to widows that were poor and needed it, or others that needed acts of mercy. This was a congregation church-wide community that was doing the work. And the deacons were just leading and mobilizing that to happen. Christ grows his imperfect church through communal servants who understand that the work of ministry is done by the entire body of Christ. This is a huge value at Christ Church East. This is one of our core values that's under equipping. And let me just read you the... the Explanation of this core value of ours. The church is not a passive crowd of consumers, but an active body of servants. We seek to equip our members uniquely gifted by God to serve in our church at home and in our workplaces. By equipping God's servants, we multiply the gospel's impact in Jacksonville and around the world. Jesus Christ has all the gifts, and Jesus Christ knows all the needs. He grows his imperfect church through servants who understand this and ask the question, Jesus, where do you need me to serve? Where do you need me to serve? Back to the Atchafalaya River that I spoke of at the beginning. It's a distributary of the Mississippi. And what the Atchafalaya accomplishes only happens because it's tied directly to the Mississippi. Its strength comes from the Mississippi. And so it is with the church of Jesus Christ. Anything that the church is able to accomplish is only attributed to the strength of Christ that is working through it. If the church becomes disconnected from Christ, then the church has no choice but to be partial. The church has no choice but to start pulling word and deed apart. The church has no choice but to become isolated and go lone ranger in its activity. So when we say here that Christ grows his imperfect church through impartial servants, holistic servants, communal servants, understand that only happens when the servants are connected to Christ. Because apart from connection to Christ, the church quickly turns into favoritism, cliques, imbalanced ministry, lone ranger servanthood, but attached to Christ. The church becomes an imperfect but beautiful place where arms are open wide, welcoming people that don't resemble them. Becomes a church where it's not just all teaching or all just doing but a beautiful, beautiful balance of teaching the Word of God and doing the Word of God, Word indeed. And, and it becomes a beautiful community where everyone is engaged, everyone is using their gifts to serve. That's how Christ grows his imperfect church. Let's pray. Father, would you forgive us for our pride and our self-sufficiency, our believing that we have all the gifts, our believing that we can get things done on our own. Would you forgive us and would you by your spirit draw us into repentance? Would you turn us from our partiality, our favoritism, even if it's unintentional. And Father, if there are places of partiality and favoritism at Christ Church East, would you be faithful to bring those up? That people would speak up? And so that, that blind spots would be uncovered. That this would be a place where people are welcomed with open arms Father, would you by your power through your servants make Christ Church East a place where the word of God is taught and the word of God is delivered in acts of mercy as well. Father, would you make this a beautiful community through servants who are yielded and submitted to your son Jesus. And Jesus, would you grow your imperfect church. And we pray this in your name, amen.